today we're going to uh, begin to talk about the workings of the Holy Spirit. Now this may be um, a refresher for some of you. For others it might be completely brand new and there may be people somewhere in between. But uh, we're going to uh, begin to look at some foundational teachings on the Holy Spirit. Um, I was going to just start out talking about uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. And I thought, well, you can't just start in the middle of the river with tongues. You know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta go. You can't skip step one and two and jump to step three. We need to talk some about the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, there is no speaking in tongues. There, there are no tongues because the Holy Spirit gives us the utterance. So uh, we need to start with the foundation uh, of the Holy Spirit. And like I said, for some of you, this may be uh, uh, just a refresher. For others, brand new. But even I think all of us even need a refresher from time to time. So um, let's turn to um, Genesis. Uh, you don't need to turn there, but if in most Bibles, in the book of Acts, um, the first page on the book of Acts usually says, the Acts of the Apostles. And that's not ex really accurate. It would be more accurate to say the um, works of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. The acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. That would really be more accurate because he was working through people. And he always has to work through people. Uh, he has to have... Someone who yields to him here on this earth that he can express himself through. Uh, just like satanic, uh, satanic operation also has to have someone who will yield to them that demons and the devil can, can operate through. And the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, requires, uh, he works through people. And in the book of Acts, we have a whole book where the Holy Spirit was working, manifesting himself through people. And we see mighty manifestations and exploits of the Holy Spirit through these believers. The Holy Spirit was very real to them. They understood that he was a person and that he was inside, him, uh, inside of them. They heard from the Holy Spirit. They obeyed the Holy Spirit. They knew when the Holy Spirit told them to go somewhere. They knew when the Holy Spirit told them not to go somewhere. They were very aware of the Holy Spirit. And they had a real reverence and a real recognition of the Holy Spirit. And they responded to Him. And that's what we want to begin to become more Holy Spirit inside us aware. Um, the denomination I grew up in knew nothing, nothing about what we're going to talk about today. Never mentioned, didn't know anything, probably didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Uh, so, so, you know, in, in Paul's time in, uh, over there in Corinthians, he says, Brethren, I would not have you ignorant about, uh, you know, spiritual things. Well, there was a lot of ignorance about the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues back then, and there's still, 2,000 years later, there's still a lot of ignorance about the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. So that's where we're going to talk about it. We want the same results those people in the book of Acts had. So we, we need to learn how to reverence the Holy Spirit, to recognize and respond to, to Him, uh, we have the same Holy Spirit that was in the book of Acts. We have the same Word of God. We have the same covenant that those people had. We're in the same church those people were in. So we should 
we should expect the same results that those people had. So, so we're, we're going to begin to do a little study on the Holy Spirit. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And the infilling of the Holy Spirit, sometimes called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, is a separate experience after salvation when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we'll talk a little bit more about you. I think several years ago we did a whole, I think we did a whole teaching. If you, if you went back to the archives, you would probably find it. But um, you, can, you can be born again, go to heaven, and never be filled with the Holy Spirit and never speak in tongues. Millions of Christians have been born again, gone to heaven. They were never filled with the Holy Spirit. They never spoke in tongues. So it's okay. I mean, you, you don't have to be filled with the Spirit. You don't have to speak in tongues to go to heaven. But it's a real, it's a real blessing, and it's a powerful thing to have in your life, especially in the times that we live in. Uh, some denominations teach that when you're born again, you receive all of the Holy Spirit that there is to have. Um, but we will see from the scriptures that uh, being born again when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you uh, is, is separate from the infilling of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon you for power. You receive power with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So we're going we're gonna to be looking at these. Now, um, first of all, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force like electricity. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a force like Star Wars. Uh, he is a person, a divine personality. Now, here in Genesis 1.26... Uh, it says, and God said, let us make man in our image. Now, the word God here is the Hebrew word Elohim, and it's called a uniplural noun, and don't get hung up on that, but it means a single being with a plural. Oh, I could use my corner, can I? A single being with a plural entity. Um Three persons in the Godhead with distinct personalities, united in essence, and sharing a common existence. Uh, another, another scripture that contains a, is another example of this, a uniplural noun, Isaiah 6, 8. Uh, God said, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? So uh, God refers here to himself, the beginning of the sentence, and then he finishes the sentence with a plural, us. He starts out with I and then he ends with us. So this is another example of a uniplural noun. Now, uh, to bring that more to, to practical uh, example, uh, if, we, if I say the church, how many churches are we talking about? One. But we're not talking about one person in the church, are we? No. One church, many people, more than, more than one person. If I say the Graham family, how many families am I talking about? One. I'm not talking about one person. There's more than one person in the Graham family. Okay? So, when we say God, one God, yes. Um, one person, no. One God, three persons. Okay? Uh, if you remember when Jesus was baptized uh, in water in Matthew 3, uh, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form on him as a dove. You remember that? And God spoke and said 
Um, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now there we have Jesus standing in the water. We have the Holy Spirit came in the bodily form of a dove. The Holy Spirit's not a dove, but he, he manifested himself in the body of a dove. And God spoke audibly and said, this is my son. Now, we got three people there in one verse, okay? We got three people. Another example. Uh, well, Jesus, when, when, that, when the Holy Spirit descended on him, Jesus, if, if God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all the same person, then how did Jesus descend on himself? That, that couldn't be. There are, there are some, I understand, I've never been to one that I know of, but I understand there are some Pentecostal churches that teach that uh, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all one. There's another movement called Jesus Only uh, in America. I don't know much about it, but I've heard about it. So there are different teaches, t uh, teachings and doctrines in various churches about the Trinity and the Godhead. But we want to examine the scripture, amen, and we want to get it right. Um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, Jesus prayed to the Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. How many wills is he talking about? Two. My will and your will. Two different people. Jesus wasn't praying to himself. If God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit were all the same, then Jesus, was he praying to himself when he said, Father? You know what I mean? So, uh, two separate wills, two separate people. Twice in the book of John, uh, Jesus prayed, I will pray the Father. So, if Jesus is the Father, who's he praying to? Is he praying to himself? No. He's praying to someone else. So, uh, one God, three persons, Amen. Uh, let's turn. Uh, I don't know if I wrote this one down or not. No, I didn't. That's okay. Um, let's let's turn to this one. Second Corinthians thirteen. We'll just look at another. Second Corinthians thirteen. Verse fourteen says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Now, when you see the word Holy Ghost in the King James Version, don't get hung up on it. That, that word ghost is just an old English word that means spirit. Uh, but you'll find that in the King James Version from time to time. In this verse, we... Uh, see three persons mentioned. We see Jesus mentioned, we see God mentioned, and we see the Holy Ghost mentioned. Three, um, three persons. Now this word um, Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, the word spirit in the Greek is the word pneuma. It means breath or air. It's where we get the English word pneumonia. Or um, these big, huge lorries, they have what's called pneumatic brakes on them. Uh, I don't know exactly how they work. Matt probably knows, but when you, you know, if you pull up to a traffic, when they pull up to a traffic light and they put the brakes on it, you hear, you know, this air is released when they put the brakes on. It's because they have pneumatic brakes and they're air. In America, we call them air brakes. So pneuma has to do with breath or air. And when it talks about the, the communion of the Holy Spirit, that another word for that is fellowship. That's why we call, when we have Holy Communion, uh, that, you know, when the Lord's Supper was really a fellowship meal, you know. And when we had fellowship over at Applegarth the other week, 
we were communing and fellowshipping together around a meal. And that's basically the, the setting uh, for fellowship and communion is around a meal. So um, we see Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, all three persons mentioned in this verse. And you can't commune or fellowship with an inanimate object. You can't fellowship with a chair. You can't fellowship with this lectern. You can only fellowship with a person. Okay? Now, in John 14, uh, this is not long before Jesus is going to the cross, and he tells the disciples that he's going to leave and he's going to come again. Uh, in the meantime, he says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. He's going to send the Holy Spirit who will live in them. And he says, I will pray the Father. He's not praying to himself. I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Um, so if Jesus said, I'm sending another comforter, who was the first comforter? He was, wasn't he? He was the first comforter if he says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send another one. Now this word another means, this word another means, is a Greek word, allos, and it means another of the same kind. So he's, Jesus says, I'm going to send another comforter just like me, and he's going to live in you. He, he is a person, is going to live inside you forever. Now the word comforter is the Greek word paraclete, and it means one called alongside to help, like an assistant. Uh, it, uh, if you have an assistant, that's one, someone called alongside to help you. That's the word comforter or Holy Spirit. Uh, and of course, at this point, the disciples don't really understand what he's talking about. Okay, um, so let's turn to uh, John, let's turn to John 14 in this case. And look at this a little closer. We're talking about the Holy Spirit is a person. And in verse 16, here he says, I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now, uh, I want every time, as we read these verses, every time you, were, you see the word he or him, underline it. Jesus uses masculine personal pronouns to describe the Holy Spirit as a person. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Verse 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Jesus is using masculine personal pronouns here, referring to the Holy Spirit as, as a him and a he, a person. Verse 8, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin. Verse 13, how be it? When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, 
for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. Do you get the picture? <laughs> these were promises of salvation. And when Jesus made these promises to the disciples and to us, the Holy Spirit was not yet in the disciples nor in any of his followers. Here in John 20, 22, uh, this, is the Holy, this is the promise that the Holy Spirit would be in them. And this, is, this scripture is when that was fulfilled. John 20, 22, uh, the resurrected Jesus came back to the disciples. It says he breathed on them, breath, pneuma, and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. This is when the disciples got born again, after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and came back to them. So the Holy Spirit is a he and not an it. He's the third person of the Godhead and a divine personality. Now some other characteristics of the uh, Holy Spirit. Some other personal characteristics of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a mind. Romans 8.27 And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. And an inanimate object doesn't have a mind. A person has a mind. The Holy Spirit also has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But these all worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit. Here he's talking about uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we will talk about later. The nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. But these all worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So the Holy Spirit has a mind and the Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit has what we would call emotions. I don't really want to use the word feelings because we want to get away from feelings. But uh, I've used the word emotions. Uh, inanimate objects don't have emotions. A chair doesn't have a mind, a will, or emotions. So the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Quench not the Spirit. Now, the word quench here means like to smother or to throw something wet on a fire. Um, is it possible for Christians to quench the Holy Spirit or to ignore if the Holy Spirit's dealing with them about something is it possible for them to ignore it yeah yeah uh, pushing it away ignoring it overriding it uh, that's would come under quenching the Holy Spirit and most of the time it's just because people are not aware that it's the Holy Spirit it's usually not something deliberate it's usually that they're not aware that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30 And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. The word grieve means to cause someone to feel sad or unhappy, deep sadness or mental pain. You can't, a, a chair or an object doesn't have, can't be made, they can't feel sad. It can't feel sad or unhappy. This is talking about a person that comes to live on the inside of us when we're born again. The Holy Spirit can be insulted. Hebrews 10, 28-29 He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God 
and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite to the spirit of grace. The word, uh, sorry. Uh, the word um, despite here in the New King James says insulted. Uh, insulted the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Grace, in the New King James Version. So, um, the context here is having reverence for the blood of Jesus. That's the context here. Reverence and respect for the blood of Jesus and not counting it an unholy thing. So, anytime we're talking about the blood of Jesus, the Word of God, or the Holy Spirit, we should be very reverent and listen up and not be loose and casual about it. We live in a very loose and casual society and it's been gravitating that way really for decades. And it's come into the church as well. Uh, there's very little honor for uh, and respect uh, it seems like to me, especially among kind of younger people, uh, teenagers, college-age students, maybe it's always been that way, I don't know, but very little respect for their parents, very little respect for people in authority, uh, police, judges, people like that, teachers, bosses, very little respect for people in positions of authority anymore. I mean, people will just get in your face. You know what I mean? I, I can imagine you go into a teacher or your boss or a judge or policeman and just getting in their face, but it's very common these days. No, no honor respect for people in authority. And uh, we, you know, especially in church, we need to make sure that, that we're not loose and casual when it comes to the word, the blood of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Some of the most serious things Jesus said in his ministry was about how people treated uh, and responded to the Holy Spirit. So that is a very, very big deal. So we should show great respect concerning the blood, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. God has emotions and responses. Uh, people think that God has no emotions. Uh, you know, if you ever followed Star Trek, there was Mr. Spock, you know, that he was from this planet called Vulcan or something like that. And he had, um, he had, he never expressed any emotions. He never laughed. He never got sad. He uh, never got angry. Uh, you know, he never expressed any emotion, emotions at all. Uh, he was just logical. <laughs> he was just logical and never showed any emotions about anything. Uh, very apathetic, matter of fact, uh, kind of detached. And a lot of people have the same impression about God. They just think he's an old white-haired man in heaven. Occasionally he drops off to sleep, leaning on his stick, and... You know, Jesus has to give him a punch to wake him up, you know. Uh, that, uh, and there are groups of people in the world uh, called deists. And deists believe along these lines that um, they, they operate on reason. And they, based on reason, they believe, uh, they can see evidence of creation. Just based on their reasoning, they can see evidence of creation and a creator. But they believe God created the earth, he gave it a spin, and he walked off. And just get on with it. And left it to the laws of nature. That's what deists believe. And uh, it's been very common in, in the last few decades in America, it's big movement to rewrite American history. In, in the form that the founders of America and some of the early presidents who were very committed Christians, I think 
uh, 30-something of the 50-something men who signed the Declaration of Independence had Bible seminary degrees. I mean, they were qualified ministers and hundreds of references to the Bible uh, in the Constitution and all. But these people that have wanted to rewrite history have tried to say that they were deists, uh, you know, they weren't really Christians. But a lot of people have this concept of God that he's totally detached from the earth. Uh, just get on with it, you know. But that's not true. Uh, God is not old. There are not any old people in heaven. Isn't that good to know? No pain, no wrinkles. Amen. So God has a soul. And he rejoices. Uh, there are lots of examples, but I've just chosen a few for just for example. We, we don't have time to go through all of these. Uh, Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. Jeremiah 32, 41. God has a mind. Romans 11, 34. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? 1 Corinthians 2.16 For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Another characteristic of God, he can be vexed. Isaiah 63.10 But they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. I didn't get all my capital letters in the right place. Sorry about that. Therefore He was turned to be their enemy and He fought against them. The word vex means to disturb, annoy, or irritate. God can be annoyed and irritated. God rejoices. Deuteronomy 30, verse 9, And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand, in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of thy land, for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good, as he rejoiced over thy fathers. So God uh, rejoices. Hallelujah. God gets angry. Judges 2.20 And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice. God laughs. Psalm 37.12.13 You don't hear that very often in church, do you? <laughs> Most people have no concept of all that God could ever laugh. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The Lord sings. Zephaniah 3.17 If you think of your favorite singer... God can top it. I'm, you know, we're, we'll get to hear God sing someday, I'm sure. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee. There's a word rejoice again. With joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. God can be hurt. Ezekiel 6, 9, uh, the New Century Version says, Then those who have escaped will remember me as they live among the nations where they have been taken as captives. They will remember how I was hurt because they were unfaithful to me and turned away from me and desired to worship their idols. They will hate themselves because of the evil things they they did that I hate. Jesus responds to our weaknesses and temptations. 
Hebrews 4.15 in the um, expanded Bible says, For our high priest, talking about Jesus, is able to understand, sympathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. In his earthly ministry, multiple times it says when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. So God has compassion. God gets angry. God gets vexed. God laughs. God rejoices. He has emotions. Okay, we're going to see that uh, the Holy Spirit coming to live in you when you're born again and the Holy Spirit coming upon you when you're filled with the Holy Spirit are two separate experiences. Jesus referred to this in Luke 24, 49. He said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So this is Jesus referring to the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. Now, um, there are churches, Christian circles that teach, I've never been in one, but some Pentecostal circles teach that you have to tarry or wait to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, they believe it's a separate experience after salvation, but they don't believe that you can just be saved and then immediately be filled with the Spirit. You have to wait on the Holy Spirit. And they have waiting meetings, and they have tearing meetings, and people go to the altar and they wait. And they, and I've, I've run across this kind of when I've prayed for some people to be filled with the Spirit, and um, they, they don't understand that they're going to do the speaking. The Holy Spirit gives the utterance, but the Holy Spirit is not going to do the speaking. And, I, and uh, these, these people go to the altar and they just wait, and somehow they just think the Holy Spirit is just somehow going to overtake them and just start speaking out of their mouth, and they have no control over it. And that's not, that's not true. But there are, uh, and this is, this is where that scripture comes from. I think this is a scripture that they use that you have to wait for the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. But they weren't just waiting uh, for the Holy Spirit. They were waiting for the day of Pentecost. Because on the day of Pentecost, that's when the Holy Spirit was going to come. So they had to wait in Jerusalem till the day of Pentecost came. So that's really what the waiting was all about. But... People get that confused and they kind of create these other doctrines. Uh, you don't have to wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, if, if it were true that if if it were true that you receive all the Holy Spirit there is to be had when you're born again, then when Jesus said go to Jerusalem and wait, the disciples was said, Well, we don't need to wait. We already got all the Holy Spirit there is. So, so that's also another misunderstanding. Um, so they obeyed and they went to Jerusalem and they received. So uh, the same Holy Spirit, two separate experiences. Okay, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in you. Uh, the Holy Spirit. Spirit, uh, John 16, 8, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, he convicts. He brings conviction. He convicts the sinner. Uh, and he convicts us. If we've done something wrong or said something we shouldn't have, we get a conviction in our heart. You shouldn't have said that or you shouldn't have done that and, you know, go apologize. The Holy Spirit convicts. Jesus said, John 16, 8, and when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will reprove or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
The worldwide English New Testament says, when the helper comes, he will prove this to the people of the world that they are wrong. They are wrong about what they call bad and about what they call good. He will show them how to be right with God. He will show them about God's judgment. The New Living Testament says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Now, uh, in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament believers did not have the Holy Spirit living inside them. The Holy Spirit came upon three offices of people, the priest, the king, and the prophet. The Holy Spirit would come upon them in order for them to be able to carry out their duties and fulfill their functions. But nobody had the Holy Spirit living in them like we do, okay? Um, the presence of God or the Holy Spirit uh, in the, the tabernacle of Moses or when they later built the temple, the Holy Spirit uh, dwelt in a room called the Holy of Holies. It was a man-made structure and only the high priest could go in that room one time a year to offer uh, animal, sac animal blood sacrifices to cover the people's sin for one year. And when he went that room, he had to make sure every I was dotted and every T crossed in his life. He went in there with great caution because it was such a holy thing. If he wasn't right with God, he'd, he'd, he'd just plunk over. And that's why they had a rope tied to their leg if they did fall over dead, they could pull them out without anybody having to go in there. <laughs> so, this Holy of Holy in the Old Testament, uh, where the Holy Spirit stayed, it was separate from the rest of the building. This curtain, there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was in the Old Testament. There was a curtain that separated that room from the rest of the building. And Bible historians tell us that curtain was 40 feet high, 20 feet wide, and 4 inches thick. And when Jesus hung on the cross, uh, and when he gave up his spirit and said, It is finished. At that moment, that curtain that was 40 feet high 20 feet wide and 4 inches thick was torn by God from top to bottom. That curtain was ripped by the power of God and the Holy Spirit came out of that building and He never went back again. Amen? Today He lives, he lives in us. He lives in believers in the New Covenant. Now, in the New Covenant, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Okay. Uh, I'm a little bit ahead of myself there. Um, we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in you. We talked about how He convicts of sin. Uh, number two, He helps and intercedes for us. Everybody say, I need help. Everybody say, I have help. <laughs> Amen. Inside me. Amen. We have help. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities or weaknesses, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself or himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Another translation, I think it's Amplified, says uh, uh, where it, instead of groanings that cannot be uttered, it says uh, language that cannot be articulated. Uh, in other words, in, in, art, in English, or you can't articulate it in English. Um, 
A third role of the Holy Spirit in us to teach and bring to our remembrance. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said to you. Now this is a good scripture to just use in everyday life. Not only will the Holy Spirit teach you and bring things to your remembrance that God said, he can bring natural information back to you. If you're on the job and, and, and you did something three years ago and you think, okay, I know I've done that before, I know how to do it. The Holy Spirit, if you ask and you, you look to him, he will bring that back to you, I'm telling you. He will bring that back to your, your mind. It's good for examinations. Yes, yes. The Bible says the spirit, no, what is it? The memory of the righteous. Yes, yes, amen. Yeah, I gave that scripture to somebody recently. Amen. Uh, and, and so, um, and even if you're doing something that you've never done before, he can teach you quickly how to do it. This is supernatural help. This is not just book learning. Um, uh, I mean, I've leaned on this lot, lots of times. Uh, Holy Spirit, uh, you know, help me bring that back to my remembrance. I know I've done this before. Uh, bring it back to my remembrance. He will do it. I'm telling you, in practical everyday life, folks, this is such a help. Um, I know I've heard Greg say several times you ran up against something, uh, one of those tables that went banana shaped or, you know, somebody wanted you to restore it. Yeah. And you said, Lord, how am I going to do this? And you did, you'd never run up against anything before. And you asked the Holy Spirit yeah. and he showed you put a clamp here and put a clamp there and whatever. But you, he asked. And, but you got to ask because this is why the Holy Spirit helps a lot of people more than he helps other people. It's not because he's a respecter of per persons. It's because some people look to him more for help than other people do. Some people don't even look. They don't even ask because they're just so unaware of the Holy Spirit in them. They just never ask and they never, uh, never look to him. Uh, fourth, to guide and to show you things to come. John 16, 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you or lead you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. The Holy Spirit hears the Father speak, and that's what he speaks. And he will show you things to come. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So the Holy Spirit leads us and he guides us into all truth. That's one of his functions. He reveals. He reveals the Word of God to us. That's why he's, the Holy Spirit is the teacher of the church. It's not people. I mean, he speaks through people. Uh, he uses people. He set teachers in the church. But it's the Holy Spirit is the teacher. And he's the one, you know, you may have heard something said or a scripture said before, uh, didn't really mean anything to you, and you hear it again, and boom, something goes off in you. That's the Holy Spirit bringing another uh, revelation on that scripture. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit. 1 John 2.27 But the anointing of the Holy Spirit which you have received of him abides in you. He's in us. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you all things, and as truth, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now some people take this scripture and they'll say, well see there, I, I don't need anybody to teach me anything, because um, the Bible says we don't need any man to teach us. Well, 
that's not what that's talking about. Uh, this just means that you're not totally reliant on a, another person uh, to re reveal all of the Word of God to you. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and you're not totally reliant on another person uh, and should not be reliant on another person to tell you what to do in a situation. Uh, this, that's what this is referring to, is that the Holy Spirit abides in you, and he, he will teach you, and He will reveal to you, and you don't just have to rely on a person, uh, and we should not just rely on a person to, to tell us uh, where we should go and what we should do. Um, the Holy Spirit comforts. We've talked about that. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit imparts eternal life to the dead spirit of a sinner. Uh, John 3, He was talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him, and actually it's a bit interesting because um, Nicodemus didn't come to him about being saved, about being born again. He came to him with a, he sneaked out in the middle of the night because he was a Pharisee who believed on Jesus, and all the other Pharisees didn't believe on him. So he knew if he was going to talk to Jesus, he had to do it in secret, and he came in the night. And he said, these wonderful, miraculous works you must be from God. Nobody, no, nobody uh, else could do these works unless they were sent from God. Uh, and he began to ask him questions about that, and Jesus totally ignored him, never even answered his question, and said, you must be born again. <laughs> he cut straight to the... He bypassed his question. He cut straight to the point. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So when we receive the new birth, we're born of the spirit. And the Holy Spirit imparts eternal life into our spirit. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 expounds on that and says, Therefore... If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new spirit. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is, um, yeah, this is just another example of the same. Uh, the Holy Spirit imparts eternal life, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, Titus 3, 5, and 7. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our uh, Lord, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So this is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And um, the Holy Spirit, this is why we don't offer praise to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't receive Praise. The Holy Spirit always de deflects all the praise, all the attention, all the glory to Jesus. Amen. He testifies of Jesus. He will always point to Jesus. There are nine fruit, what we call fruit of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation products of the Holy Spirit not manifestations, but products of the Holy Spirit that come to live uh, in us when we're born again. It's part of our new recreated spirit. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And the, 
uh, purpose of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this, enab this enables us to live a holy life. This is related to holy living. They're a product of your recreated human spirit and the result of the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence. Um, so this, this, isn't, uh, this is separate from the infilling of the Holy Spirit when you receive power. This, is, this, is, uh, an, this helps us to live a holy life. This is not a power gift. This is a holy life gift. Um, just keep my eye on the time here. Infilling of the Holy Spirit uh, is an infilling of power in addition to the new birth. It's sometimes called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we mentioned this verse earlier where Jesus referred to this infilling in Luke 24, 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So this is talking about a separate experience after the new birth when you receive power. Uh, again in Acts 1.5, Jesus said, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not power to live a holy life. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The baptism, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is power to minister to others. We need power from God to minister to others. And as a separate and subsequent experience, Jesus promised his disciples and all believers that uh, the promise of endowment of power from on high. Okay, now this brings us to a question. Did the infilling of the Holy Spirit pass away with the death of the last apostle? There are churches that teach this. Uh, you know, the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit in speaking with tongues is kind of like healing in that people who have never experienced it make up reasons why, why they've never experienced it. And one of the reasons I come up with is that it's passed away. Uh, that's, that's how the, the doctrine gets started. The healing's passed away just because they've never experienced it. Then they got to come up with some reason why they've never experienced it. So they just say, well, it's passed away and it's not for everybody. And people tend to do the same thing with uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. Uh, they, you know, they kind of rewrite the Bible to fit their experience when we need to make our experience fit the Bible. Um, so let's just look at, look at that because, you know, we, we do hear people say that from time to time. In... Um, uh, the people who believe this theory, the theory goes that since the apostles received this endowment of power of the Holy Spirit, then they were the only ones who could lay hands on somebody else to receive the Holy Spirit. And when the last one died, that was it. Nobody else could ever be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's their theory. But this doesn't make sense. Uh, for one reason, of the five recorded instances in the book of Acts where believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, two of them do not mention the laying on of hands. Now, most of the time, we lay hands on people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's not absolutely necessary. I've heard of people being filled with the Spirit in their car at the traffic light. You know what I mean? So it's, and we have Bible recordings where people did not have hands laid on them, and we'll look at those. So if, if they're trying to say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a transference of power from the apostles by the laying on of hands, that's not going to work because we've got 
two recordings in the Bible where people did not have hands laid on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And one of those instances was the day of Pentecost, the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit that Jesus uh, just talked about in Luke 24. And on that day, there were 120 believers in the upper room who received the Holy Spirit, not just the 12 disciples. So where they come up with the fact that only the 12 received and only the 12 could pass it on to somebody else, I don't understand because the 12 plus uh, another what, 108 believers were in the upper room and they received the initial infilling on the day of Pentecost. So we have 120 that received on the same day. Now the theory continues by saying that when Philip, we'll look at him later, probably not today, but when Philip went to Samarita, Samaria and preached there the new birth to people and they got saved, um, they're saying, they say, well, that's the reason that uh, when the, the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans had been saved through Philip's ministry, that that's why they sent Peter and John to pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit because they were original apostles and they were the only ones that could do it. And Philip was not an original apostle, therefore he, he couldn't pray for them to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's the theory. But uh, that doesn't hold up because we have an example right here in the book of Acts where a lay person who was not a minister and not uh, an original apostle laid hands on the, uh, Saul and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's here in Acts 9, 10 to 12. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. He was a lay person, an everyday believer. He was not, an, he was not a minister. He was not an apostle. He was an ordinary believer. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of um, was it Judas? Yeah, sorry I misspelled that. For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. We're going to continue. And Ananias went in, and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So, we have an example here where um, Saul, Saul, who later became Paul, was he had his sight restored and he was filled with the Holy Spirit when a lay person laid his hands on him and prayed for him. So, no, the, Holy, the baptism in the Holy Spirit did not pass away with the last apostle. Amen? Um, okay, one more scripture and I think we'll finish for today. Um, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is for every believer. Acts 2, 38, 39, Then Peter said unto him, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Now that's talking about water baptism. Um, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise... Um, is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. Now, well, actually, sorry, the gift of the Holy Ghost here is talking about the infilling, okay? Uh, they've they've uh, repented, they've been saved, uh, and he says, now uh, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you, to your children, 
and to all that are afar off, even as any as the Lord our God shall call. So it's for every believer. Now, some people might say, well, see there, it's just for whoever God calls. And I'm not called. (laughs) Some people might say that. Uh, But that's not what this is saying. This is for all who believe. It's for all who believe, and it is only for believers. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is only for believers. We're not talking about unsaved. This is only for believers, and it's a separate experience apart from being born again. Amen? The Holy, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and you receive the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, and so forth. When we receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, like the, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes up on you. And we'll look at that. We'll take up from here next time. Okay, because you've had a lot of information today. You've been very good. Uh, and I hope this has been beneficial. It's been a good refresher for me as well. So we're going to get into some more, uh, some more aspects of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we'll talk about how tongues passed away, which some people believe. Uh, and... We're going to examine the scriptures. That's what we do here. Amen? Whatever you believe, it's got to line up with this word. Amen? Whatever, you've got to examine what you believe, and you've got to make sure it lines up with this word. Amen. Hallelujah. So we'll continue to examine the scriptures on this subject uh, when we take up next time. Amen?